Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal. I am in our downtown studios on this gray and rainy Friday morning. Uh, I am joined by my co-conspirator for this episode, the sports director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. How are we doing, Maury? Kachi, doing well. First week of hoops is uh, almost done, uh, but we've got a big game coming up tonight on Friday. A uh, couple PC games that we can look back at and analyze and start to talk about kind of what we see them shaping up to be and where they need to improve and some positives and uh, also Brown as well. So we've got four, all four teams in action and uh, it's a great first couple days. Just generally the first two or three days, hasn't it been great to be back at games with fans in the building, You know, have a little atmosphere? I, I, I've really enjoyed it. I, I'm sure you have as well. Oh, big time, big time. You, you, you have everything that's, that we missed the last year. It was, it was the bands and the students. Students have been great at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Uh, the Ryan Center, I'm sure, will be banged out tonight uh, with two in-state teams. You also have a, a women's game right after that. Hopefully you kind of have some of that uh, you know, leftover crowd hangs around and watches Tammy Reese's squad. So uh, it's great. I'm sure there's an excitement on campus that the kids and the administrators and the staff and the coaches and the players can feel. And for us especially, knowing that you know, we were covering games last year in empty gyms and and now they're packed. You mentioned the Dunkin' Donuts Center. That's where we both were on Thursday night uh, to see Providence move to 2-0, and a 92-64 win over Sacred Heart. Uh, neither of those results was particularly unexpected. So we'll take a look at how exactly the Friars uh, won their first two games. Um, last night, pulled away in the second half, outscored Sacred Heart 49-28 after they held a seven-point halftime lead. Uh, good scoring balance for PC. Um had seven players with at least seven points. Alan Breed led the way with 15 off the bench. Uh, Maury, I know Ed Cooley said after the game he, he wasn't particularly pleased with the first half, um, specifically his team's defensive effort. Uh, you know, was not happy that Sacred Heart was able to get off from the three. They were eight for 18 in the first 20 minutes. Um, you know, I just wonder maybe if you have some general takeaways through uh, that game and their opening win over Fairfield on Tuesday night. Where do we start? Loaded question. Where do we start? <clears throat> yes, they're two and zero, and two and zero is two and zero. The way that they've gotten to two and zero has not been impressive. Um, even the final half of basketball they played against Sacred Heart um, was better, but still not dominant against a team in the NEC. And you're a team in the Big East that's been to the NCAA tournament for a number of years now, and brings back arguably an All American, and brings back a ton of talent and a ton of experience. Mm. And sure, Fairfield and Sacred Heart had experience on their roster. Um, Fairfield got to the MAC championship last year. Sacred Heart upset LaSalle on, on, the op- on opening night. But these are teams that should not have been close from you from the start. Um, and I'm seeing some things early, Bill, that I don't like. There's a ton of examples here from a senior-laden team that I don't like. And I'm, these are just the few that I wrote down before. Sure. I'm sure you have plenty more, and we can dive into it. These are a few of my my, uh, observations here. Mm -hmm. From a senior-laden team against Fairfield, night one. One second left on the shot clock. 
They allow a lob dunk at the rim. Yeah. Get caught on a back screen playing man-to-man. A, maybe play zone defense. B, maybe talk and communicate. And C, maybe you've played enough basketball not to allow that to happen to a team (laughs) that's in a league that's uh, in a, you know... Maybe the bottom 10, bottom 15 in the country. <laughs> right. Okay. We can't, we can't foul jump shooters 25 feet from the basket. Right. Al Durham, who's, who's played college basketball and now is fifth season. You can't go three-quarter court press against Sacred Heart and allow easy layups when that's supposed to slow down an offense. Mm. And in the final possession of a first half against Sacred Heart, you can't A, be unaware of the time on the clock, nine seconds, and then compound it with B, bad execution. A poor screen by Horkler, a tough shot by Durham. I mean, these are things that have popped up in the first couple games that you can't get away with when the schedule tarts, starts to turn. And it turns on Monday night when they go to Wisconsin. These are things here that you have to address right now because Providence has come out of the gate slow the last few years in the out-of-conference, and they've had to try to make it up at the end of the season. And they haven't been to the NCAA tournament in a number of years. So if these mistakes show up now, after a regular preseason, a game against Purdue, a game against Stonehill, all summer long you had practice. The grade I give them is a D plus. If a C is average, and we knew they were going to win, so you can't say, well, they won the game. They, okay, they won the game. They were bigger and, and more physical. Ed Cooley said that. They won just because they're more athletic, and the other team, they wore the other teams down. Sure. It's a D plus. They have been below average based on where we thought this team would be and against the competition they played. I look at um, you know a few things obviously and and I think Ed you know in private conversations with his staff and and watching film would probably agree with a lot of the things you just said. Um, and is probably concerned by them uh, because he knows that if you make those sorts of mistakes at Wisconsin, uh, a team that has finished in the Ken Palm top 50 in 10 of the last 12 years, you are not coming out of the Cole Center with a win. Um very little chance uh, of that. Uh, you know, and I look at Ed's substitution patterns against Sacred Heart. Um, he's sending messages to veteran guys very early. Um, the first three guys who came out of that game, Nate Watson misses a defensive rebound on the weak side. That turns into a second-chance three-pointer. Uh, Noah Horkler throws a lob pass to the post that's a turnover. He's taken out at the first media timeout. And A.J. Reeves gets driven for a bank shot off the glass. He gets taken out six minutes into the game. Um, Those were individual examples. That leads up to midway through the first half where Ed Cooley makes a line change, the hockey equivalent of a line change. Uh, Drew Fonts makes his season debut with about 10 minutes to go in the first half, gives them some energy, and, and Ed alluded to it after the game. He said, yes, it's very much one of those circumstances where you break glass in case of emergency. You don't want to do it all the time, but once in a while, if you do it and use it judiciously, it sends the right message to your team. And, you know, credit to Drew Fonts, because he's in the press conference last night. He's wonderfully mature. He's incredibly self-aware for somebody that age. Just comes right out and says, we've had conversations. I know my role. I know what I'm supposed to do. When I go diving into the dance team for a loose ball, that's why I'm out there. You know, that's what I'm supposed to do. When he knocks down a three-pointer, that's a nice little bonus. It's a decent-looking shot in rhythm for a, a walk-on, whether he's a veteran or not. Um, you know, but I, I certainly think that he is taking in-game actions immediately 
to try and snap his, his team out of these patterns of play. I, I certainly saw that last night in the first half against Sacred Heart. I just don't know, though, after you come out and you have the performance you did against Fairfield, and the game was never in the balance, they were going to win the game. You know, you, you were confident they were going to win the game the whole way through. The final score didn't look pretty. Ed, Ed's comments publicly post-game weren't pretty. They had a day to correct them. They had a day to talk to each other. You had to come out against Sacred Heart and blow the doors off of the Pioneers. Mm-hmm. The tallest guys Sacred Heart started were two six six forwards in the NEC, guards in the Big East. And Nate Watson, who has the potential to be an All-American, who Ed Cooley thinks is one of the best big men in the country, has two shots, two shot attempts at the half. And he played 13 minutes in the first half. Right. And when you are only up by a couple possessions at the half, and you were going back and forth with Sacred Heart, how at some point it's not just throw everything out the window and approach basketball the way elementary school teams do. When you have a bigger, a better body, <laughs> yeah, give it and to the them. fifth grader is like 5'10", playing, and, all the, other playing fifth the second graders, and yep. all the other kids are like 5'1", yep. or whatever the height would be, just give the guy to the big man and let him work. Yeah, the recess rules. Just right. throw the ball down there. Horkler, Watson, let them go to work. And you know what Nate Watson said before the season when I asked him at media availability, I think it was the first day, I said, what areas have you tried to improve on? And he cites passing. Okay, well, if Sacred Heart wants to throw two or three bodies at you, Sacred Heart will do it. And even teams with six, ten, seven footers will do it as well in the Big East. If they want to double and triple team you, then pass the ball and there'll be wide open shots. Right. There doesn't still seem to be an identity on the offensive end against low major teams. Mm. Uh, to your point, zero assists for Nate Watson through two games, uh, which suggests that either he's not being given the opportunity to pass out of double teams, he hasn't had enough touches yet, uh, or he hasn't done so effectively. Um, you know, that's certainly something to watch over the course of the season. I, I know, you know, watching URI as Hassan Martin evolved into a scoring threat on the post, um, the book got out on him in the Atlantic 10 to just double him on the catch. Every time, um, you know, don't allow him to set up and, and make that little lefty jump hook uh, because he can make it all night. You know, was not going to miss it. Sixty percent shooter. You know, his last couple of years, and on that shot, it was probably seventy-five. Uh, you know, just from a physical standpoint, much like Nate Watson, he was going to overwhelm most guys who you put up against him uh, in a one-on-one defensive matchup. Uh, sometimes I, I think. Modern basketball being what it is, pace and space, and, and the way these guys play in prep school and in grassroots, I almost think they forget what it's like to play with a true five man. There aren't many of those anymore. You know, everyone wants to be a stretch five, and I can guard one through five, and I can shoot the three and, and play on the perimeter. This is a traditional back to the basket big man who can step out and make a 12 to 15 footer. Um, that was a, a part of his game that really got a lot better last season. You could see he put a lot of work in on that little jump shot on the baseline and on the elbow. And, and I think it's incumbent upon Providence, whether it's the coaching staff or the guards, to use him in that way. Because um, he can be a great weapon for you. Um, I mean, you look at Nate Watson's numbers career in terms of shooting and in terms of turnover percentage. He's a wonderfully efficient player. 
You're talking about a 58% shooter, a guy who had a 10% turnover rate last year. That's top 80 in the country. Um, he's as sure-handed as some point guards out there. So give him the ball and, and give him a chance. And maybe that unlocks some of your three-point shooting. They were a little bit better from the perimeter against Sacred Heart, uh, 11 for 26 from three. That's one of their better efforts over the last three or four years. This, this traditionally has not been a very good perimeter shooting team under Ed. Uh, you know, normally it's grinded out, toughness, you know, play defense. Um, you know, but these guys, these guys, I think, have more upside in that way. You have the true five-man. He can attract some attention. You've got a couple guys who theoretically could make shots. Um, it's just a matter of, of playing the right way. I also think, Maury, you look at these two games and you look at the composition of Providence roster, these are a bunch of old men. They've seen a lot in college basketball. No matter how responsible you'd like them to be, no matter how attentive to detail you'd like them to be, these guys know it's only Fairfield and Sacred Heart. And I think they know that the result, 99 times out of 100, is they're going to win a home game when they draw 9,700 people plus both nights, um, no matter how they play. Uh, you know, and so I think maybe, you know, and I think you asked the question to, to Drew Fonts and the presser, um, will seeing Wisconsin on the jersey change a little something? I, I think it probably will. I think mentally that's going to bring a little different focus to these guys. I hope it does. I hope it does because, <clears throat> like we said off the top, you can't judge these two games by just the result because we pretty much knew what the result was going to be. It's the process. It's it's, Correct. it's the steps. It's it's what happens on the floor. Are the fundamentals there? Are the building blocks in place so that when the competition gets better, when the bodies get bigger, when the game speeds up, you can implement the same things you're doing against Sacred Heart and Fairfield, against the Wisconsin's, against the Northwesterns, against a team like potentially Virginia, who they could see. Not too long down the road. Watson and Horkler have to get touches. Um, almost to the point of when you have the best player on the court and the best player on your team, if it's a wing or if it's a guard, there's a good chance that that player gets touches almost every time down the floor. So it should be no different with Nate Watson. Even if it's just post up, establish yourself, get the ball in, and then kick it to the other wing. And then reset there and then continue to play. Or if it's down into Watson and he tries to go to the hoop, it should be almost every possession that he touches the ball. It, just to keep the defense, you know, to, to collapse the defense, to keep lanes open for your, for your guards on the wing to shoot the ball or to get the ball, pump fake and drive, or to throw the ball down there and let him go to work if he's got a good matchup. But, but to not look at him, and, and to your point of like, sure, it's a different game, and sure, we're not used to as many back-to-the-basket bigs, but this is a guy that's been in the program five years. Right. I mean, all these guys know the watch lists he's on, the all-Big East preseason team he's on. It's easy just, just looking at him in the locker room, his, his stature. Yeah. I mean, and he's yeah. a great guy. He's a funny guy. He's you know one of the team captains. He's one of the leaders. He's on social media. He's you know had a couple um, deals to, to make a little side money now. Yep. It's just hard. Hard to, to not get him more than nine shots against a team like Sacred Heart. And when you go to Wisconsin, he's got to get more touches. Um, so those are the positives. I mean, Nate Watson and Noah Horkler have to continue to be the focal point of this offense. Uh, and then you have to get good guard play. I think we, we sort of know what Al Durham is, um, and I think he is the perfect PC player. Yeah, I, I like he, him. He can do a lot. He's gritty. He's tough. Yep. Um, reminds me of a, of a few players that it's had in the past five, ten years ago that, that can really do it all, um, you know, 
maybe not wildly efficient from the floor. A little um, loose from three. A little loose, but you like that confidence. You like that swagger. When he's open, he feels it. He'll pop off for a cup for, for some games, and, and he'll average in the, in the low teens for you this year uh, and doesn't seem to really turn the ball over that much. I like him in um, transition. And in transition is great. He's willing to get out and run. I do like that. He's great. And if and if an Allen Breed or a Jared Bynum gets in foul trouble, he's okay at the point too for sometimes. Yep. Um, so you know what you have there in those three. Now it's what are the other two pieces? Right. Is it Bynum? Is it Breed? Breed showed he can shoot. He can shoot. He can score. He's a little taller. Ed Cooley said last night after Sacred Heart, he can defend guys a little bit bigger than him. It's the first time he hasn't had a 6'4", 6'5", 200-pound guard in a little while, mm-hmm. but he believes that Alan Breed can fill that role. And then what's to make of Justin Minaya? So they still have some question marks after two games. Yeah, certainly do. And uh, you know we're going to... We're going to see where they stack up. We're going to see some answers when they go to Wisconsin, um, who opened with an 81-58 win over St. Francis, Brooklyn. Uh, one of the starters for the Terriers that night, Tedrick Wilcox, the former superstar at Tolman, who was transferred up from the Division II ranks. Um, <laughs> your first Division One start at Cole Center against Wisconsin. That's a tough assignment. Uh, Wisconsin, Maury, we saw them last year. They played against URI and, and won at home. Uh, still some familiar names there. Brad Davison still there. Uh, Tyler Wall still there. He's a three-year player. Uh, they have a freshman in named Chucky Hepburn who started the other night. Um, you know, so typical Wisconsin. They're going to be physical. They're going to be efficient. Uh, they're really going to defend. That, that's generally who they were under Bo Ryan and now under Greg Gard. Uh, they play against Green Bay on Friday night uh, and then turn it around over the weekend for Providence on Monday as part of the Gavit Games. Uh, you know, Ed Cooley obviously speaking after the game about, um, you know, playing those games in, in memory of Dave Gavit, the former Providence coach, the Basketball Hall of Famer, um, you know, means a great deal to the Friars. Uh, you know, and obviously a, a great built-in schedule opportunity every year to get a quality win. And, and when you're playing, you know, previously they've played Illinois, they've played Minnesota, they've played Northwestern. Um, Wisconsin is, is a really good opponent uh, on a non-conference schedule that, that from here is going to start to ramp up a little bit as we get deeper into November. It is. Wisconsin, and then you go to the Prudential Center in, in North Jersey, and you have... Uh, you open up with Northwestern. Northwestern, yep. and then it's the winner or loser of either Georgia or Virginia. Correct. Virginia preseason top 25. We know the, um, the caliber of program that Tony Bennett runs. Uh, Georgia, Tom Crean, a lot of success. Uh, during his coaching career, uh, and Northwestern and other Power Five opponents. So, yeah, the, the schedule turns quickly, and then you know, right after that, it's Texas Tech in your building, who was in a Final Four not too long ago, mm-hmm. um, and it's your rival down the road in URI, who is will always be a tough out in that game. So, um, it gets real for the Friars quick, uh, but they have a real opportunity here to 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 put some nice wins on their record. Uh, give themselves a little breathing room going into Biggie's play. You mentioned the Rams, and we'll go to them next. Uh, Friday night, a showdown with Bryant at the Ryan Center uh, as part of a doubleheader at the Ryan Center. Uh, the Rams men will play at 6 o'clock. The Rams women will play Merrimack immediately following, uh, probably 30, 35 minutes in between the two games. Um, Maury, we've got a one-game sample for the URI men so far. Uh, a 71-62 win over Boston University. My Terriers uh, were game, but ultimately could not find a way to score 
against URI, and and, and I think uh, that's where we should start with the Rams. Uh, the way that they defended in that game, uh, I thought was very impressive from start to finish. Uh, you know, when you look at URI and, and you look at the identity of their NCAA tournament teams under Dan Hurley, they were very difficult to play against. That that was not a night that you looked forward to on your schedule. You you knew that the opponent was going to be physical and edgy and guard you in your face, um, you know, not give you anything easy on the offensive end. Uh, and I think if, if URI is inclined to, you know, as David Cox said after the exhibition win uh, over Johnson and Wales, if, if, if they are inclined to reclaim that sort of culture, um, I think that could be a way for them to be very successful this season. Yeah, it has to be because that has to be your identity. It has to be you know what you go back to when times are tough, when when shots aren't falling. What can you lean on? Um, and it has to be the defensive identity. He said that needs to be the case. He's mentioned <clears throat> publicly that that they might try to pressure full court. They might try to pressure three quarter court. Uh, get that defense involved. Get the defense going. Uh, and hopefully it leads to transition baskets. Hopefully it leads to offense on the other end um, and I think when you look at the pieces you have the Mitchell twins who are solid down low mm-hmm. you have Malik Martin and Antoine Walker who can seemingly guard three through five you know five in a pinch but more more often than not three through five and you like your defense from your guards um, you know Ish Leggett put on much needed uh, you know weight and muscle He's uh, this offseason he yeah definitely um, and a heady player so he can guard one through three potentially four if you need him in a pinch Ish Alamine for a guy that averaged over 15 points a game and was all-conference out of Ball State to come to URI and, and defend the way he did in Game 1 and not feel the need to have to take a ton of shots on the other end to make an impact, and he finishes with 13 points in just three shots, super impressive. Yeah. Speaks to the person he is, the player he is, and the type of recruit that David Cox wants on his team. So a big kudos there to Cox and, and the staff for getting a type of, uh, the, a player like that. Um, who, as he would say, is an old chip off the block. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, they have a lot of pieces de- defensively uh, to hopefully make that their identity. Ten block shots and 13 steals in the game for URI. Uh, and that just that speaks to the aggression that they played with at that end of the floor. Uh, BU shot under 40%, and that's a significant number. Uh, you know, looking back at David Cox's tenure in URI, he, he's early in year four, obviously, one game into it. Uh, BU is the 40th opponent that URI has held under 40%. URI is 33 and 7 in those games. They're 17 and 32 otherwise. Uh, you know, so if you want to get an idea of a, a path to victory, a consistent path for URI, uh, you look at the 2019 20 season where they went 21 and 9. They were 13 and 0 in games where teams shot under 40%. Um, so just a very clear indicator, very simple indicator of how URI can win consistently, uh, consistently regardless of roster composition, regardless of opponent. Um, you know, you're looking the other night, and, and obviously uh, you mentioned the guard play. Jeremy Shepard with 12 points, Ish Leggett with 18. He leads four in double figures. Uh, Ish Elamin makes a big three-pointer at the end where URI is sort of wobbling a little bit to the finish. That's the kind of shot that you would like to see out of a veteran, a fifth-year guy. Um, that's why you recruit him for that sort of presence. Uh, you know, the other thing I look at, Maury, is, is the foul shooting for URI. Uh, Makai Mitchell struggled a little bit, three for nine. Aside from him, you're 20 for 22. Your guards, Shepard, Leggett, and Elamine, missed one free throw. 
those are the guys who are going to have the ball in their hands you know, in the last two minutes trying to shoot out these games. And if they are close and you're going to play defensively and, and it's going to be you know, a little bit blue-collar, it, it stands to reason you're going to play some of these games that are going to be single-digit games. If you feel confident enough to put the ball in their hands down the stretch, that's a really good indicator going forward if they can carry that. No, it's big. It's very big, especially you look at the, the points too. I mean, that's the engine on offense has to be the guards. It starts with them. You know, up top, it starts with them penetrating. It starts with them getting other guys involved. And it could finish with them putting the ball in the basket. Uh, you figure that, that the Mitchell Twins will combine for more than 15 points on a nightly basis going forward. Hopefully they're both closer to you know double digits, and if they can pour in 20-plus, that would be ideal. Uh, but on nights when they don't, like they did against BU, and they only put in 15 combined, and um, they're in some foul trouble there late, then you have to turn to your guards, and that's what happens when you have a fourth or fifth year in Jeremy Shepard. He's been in the program now three years. Mm-hmm. Ish Alamine, fifth year of college, and, and, and Ish Leggett, who learned from a Fats Russell and, and was here already and just plays more mature than, than his age and his experience uh, with 18 points in, uh, on third, you know, in 30 minutes, 6 of 10 from the floor, and got it done in the, at the line like you mentioned. So uh, the guards definitely have to be the focal point on the offensive end. You know, and just looking at them, uh, you mentioned the Mitchell twins. Obviously, there's foul trouble there. Mikhail Mitchell ends up fouling out in 18 minutes. Uh, Makai Mitchell, his first real game in 11 months, uh, you know, maybe at times a little out of control. The five turnovers speak to that. Uh, you would expect him to tighten that up a little bit. Um, I certainly think he's capable of being a, a more efficient, more effective player than that. Uh, Antoine Walker also in foul trouble throughout the other night. Only played 19 minutes before he fouled out. You would expect a little more production from their front court on a typical night where those guys aren't in trouble. Uh, you know, because they are a pretty physical group. Um, you know, and I, I think they could do some damage, particularly against a, a front court that is undersized. Uh, you know, who they run into. Um, and they will see one of those in Bryant, uh, you know, who comes in off an exhibition win over Fisher. Uh, you know, you can't really tell very much about a team when they play a Division three opponent. Uh, you know, Bryant shows us that they can score and make threes. We knew that already. Uh, you know, this is a team that, that scored in bunches last year, was a top 23-point shooting team nationally last year. Uh, you know, the other night they go 11 for 32 from deep against Fisher, which is 34%. Uh, and most teams would take that. Bryant's actually a little higher standard. Last year they were 37-7 from three. Um, you know, I, I look at the Bulldogs, Maury, and, and, and I look at what they did last season, uh, nearly knocking off Syracuse in the opener and winning at UMass. And I think about college basketball and the equalizer that the three-point shot has been since it came in in the 80s. And, and really one of the first examples was Rick Pitino here at Providence uh, in 1987 you know, that was a team of, of a couple transfers and a couple guys who other schools in the Big East like Syracuse and Georgetown wouldn't have recruited. Uh, you know, you look at Billy Donovan, he's just an ordinary guy walking down the street. Um, you know, sort of a, a pudgy, you know, unathletic kid from New York. And Rick Pitino tells him to lose 20 pounds and get in better shape and start shooting threes. And all of a sudden he's an NBA player. Uh, you know, and I, and I look at that Providence team and the way they got to the Final Four. Um, they were very much a modern basketball team. It was pressing, forcing turnovers, shooting threes and free throws at the other end. Uh, they were 30 years ahead of their time. I look at Bryant, and we mentioned this on the preview edition of the pod, the fact that they shoot the three, they defend the three, and they make their free throws. 
that makes them dangerous in, in an up game against someone like you or I. I know they go to Clemson on Monday. When you're playing against those type of opponents, Bryant's made double-digit three-pointers in 31 of their last 85 games. So pushing half of those games. You're able to convert on shots like that and spread the floor. You give yourself a chance just about any night, and, and I expect them to be in this game on Friday at URI as well. This is not a game that, that I'm sure David Cox and his staff were happy to have on their schedule. This is part of the Sunshine Slam. We, we should say it is part of the non-bracketed portion of the Sunshine Slam, which will be played in Daytona Beach uh, over next weekend. It is. So uh, this is a regional game, and, and it's a game that, that URI gets at home. Um, but knowing that Bryant is close by, knowing the success that Bryant had last year, knowing the, uh, the type of talent that Bryant brings back, this is, this is going to be a great game, great game for the state. So if you're listening in, definitely head down to the Ryan Center. It's a 6 o'clock start, but get your weekend started a little early. Uh, get out of work or, or maybe move the last call of your day to Monday if you, if you can um, because it's going to be a great game. Um, you look at it, like you mentioned, Bryant's had a lot of success when they've played up on their schedule. A lot of guys that have played four bigger programs. Um, still have to see if Bryant will have a couple of their key pieces mm. that will be allowed to play mm. uh, in Peter Kiss and Chris Childs, who didn't play in the opener. Um, but if those two play, it's going to be a good one um, because you have a URI team who's still trying to establish new culture. Every player now under David Cox is his recruit. Mm -hmm. And you have Jared Grosso in year four who um, seems to have an identity, seems to have a direction uh, that his program is going. Um, and you know we'll get into some of the keys here and, and what it will take for URI to win and what it will take for Brian to win. Yeah, normally improvement isn't a, a linear concept, but in terms of Brian, it has been yep. with Grosso. Uh, it took over a three-win program, um, actually made his coaching debut on the same night that David Cox made his. That was the start of the 2018-19 season, a 97-63 URI win at the Ryan Center. The Rams made 13 three-pointers that night. They've only hit double digits two other times in 88 games under David Cox. The other night against BU, they only took six. So you're talking about two very different styles, butting heads here. Um, you know, Bryant certainly has committed to pace and space. They've committed to skill development. Uh, they showed down the stretch last season, reaching the NEC title game, that they could execute in the half court. I, I'm thinking about late season wins over Merrimack and, and Sacred Heart specifically. Um, you look at the Bulldogs and, and, and you think, you know, the other night against Fisher, okay, what did they really show us? You're, you're playing against Fisher. Well, we saw, you know, obviously Charles Pride, it, it looks like a guy who's going to take a step forward this year. Uh, took a big leap freshman to sophomore. Looks like he's intent on taking another big leap sophomore to junior year. He had 25 points and 11 rebounds. Uh, Tyler Brailsford, transfer guard from George Washington. This was the question spot for us going into the year, the point guard position at Bryant with Michael Green the third leaving. Brailsford has 21 points and 11 assists. Now, granted, it's against Division Three competition. But if he's going to step right in as a six foot four guy who gives them a little bit more length at both ends of the floor, and he's going to be able to run the point for this team with those sorts of shooters around him and with a lob guy in Hall Elijah's down low, that adds a different dimension to them that, that maybe they didn't have last year. Michael Green's a wonderful player, but he's 5'10 on a tall day. Um, this lineup with Brelsford, with Luis Hurtado, with Elijah, with Adam Alita, all of a sudden, 
a little bigger, a little more versatile, maybe a little more capable of playing against more advanced opponents. No, that's exactly what it is. And that's you could clearly tell in the offseason that was Jared Grosso's plan. Um, we mentioned this on the first pod of the year. They got bullied at times by Mount St. Mary's in that NEC championship game. More talent for the Bulldogs, no question. Uh, more top-end talent. However, Mount St. Mary's wore them down. So when you go out and you get an Adam Alita, and you go out and you get a Tyler Brelsford, and you get other pieces, and other guys you know, put, put weight on their bodies, and Erickson Bands. So they'll be able to now play against top-tier teams in the A-10, like a URI, uh, or down their schedule like they play a Cincinnati, or a Houston, or a Clemson, who's right around the corner for them. Um, so, you know, when it comes to Friday night and, and, and keys for, for both sides, to me, it's, it's a hot start for Bryant, especially. Uh, you're going to be on the road against a team that, that wants to beat you badly. Um, and you're going to be on the road in front of a fan base that is anxious for URI to return to what it's been the yes, last couple of years. Absolutely. Um, so, that, you know, that first media timeout, hopefully you're there, you're even, or you've, you know, you've got a possession or two lead. Uh, it's all about pace and shooting. Jared Grosso gives his guys the green light. He tells us all the time, if they make X amount of shots in practice, every week they have to make a certain amount to be able to shoot them in the the games. And then once you're allowed to shoot them in the games, they've got all the confidence in the world to to shoot them. Right. He gives them the green light. If if they come out and they start pushing the ball up and down the court and they can make shots, we could be in for a really good 40-minute college basketball game. On the other side, for URI, you can't turn the ball over. That's my big key for them. 17 turnovers against BU. Turnovers were a major issue last year Right um, on their way to a, a season that, that they want to forget. Um, they got to slow it down in the half court. Have to try to have Bryant grind it out. Maybe you throw in some of that three-quarter court press like David Cox talked about wanting to implement before the season started uh, to try to slow down the Bulldogs a little bit, even though the Bulldogs can play a little bit too in the half court, and they showed it at times last year. But you hope that if you do that, more often than not, that'll lead to um, defensive stops for the Rams. And then you have to use your bigs. Uh, as much as we talk about the Bulldogs having more size, having more strength, you still can't go up against the, the, the Twin Towers and the Mitchell Twins and, and even an Antoine Walker. That's right. And, you know, Antoine Walker still probably one of the more athletic guys on the court that we'll see on Friday night. So mm-hmm. URI has that advantage there. They just now need to go to those players and use them. Yeah, big contrast in styles, as we said, uh, and and it is going to be very much about which team can impose its will on the other. Uh, you know, if this turns into an up and down game where it's wide open and free flowing and and shooting from deep, that's Bryant's game. Uh, if it turns into a little bit more of a fist fight, like you or I got against BU the other night, that's certainly their game and, and in their favor. Uh, you know, I I just think. You look at these two teams, and you know, like I said, the, the trajectory on Bryant has been pretty consistently up through Jared's three years. David Cox stabilized his first year. They had a really strong finish. Second year was on the cusp of an NCAA tournament bid. They struggled down the stretch a little bit. Obviously, the events canceled. Uh, you know, The A-10 tournament could have been a salvation for them. We'll never know. Um, third season really struggled. You know, had a couple guys leave who were really important, Tyrese Martin and Jacob Toppin. Um, really staggered down the stretch, lost seven of the last eight. This is the type of season where URI needs to get back on his feet. It, it's sort of a – it's going to determine who they are. It's going to determine who, who David is going forward. Uh, you know, 
David and, and Jared Grasso, both in the fourth years of their contracts, you're looking at their futures, respectively. If Jared Grasso is able to win an NEC title, I'm sure he's already on the periphery of, of conversations for other jobs now. in bigger conferences. Right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, if he's able to win a league title, you question whether or not he's going to be at Bryant next season. Um, you know, because there will be other jobs available. There will be other offers that, that come in. Um, you know, you look at your eye on David and, and you look at him with two seasons left on his deal. Most coaches don't go into the last year of their deal as a lame duck. So is your eye going to show enough this year, whether it's making a push to an NCAA bid, uh, making a push to the top four of the A-10, where he gets an extension and, and gets to work with a roster that would largely be intact next season? Um, you know, a roster that, that you could argue – if they show signs of progress this year, would be a top three or four preseason team in the A-10 next year? Um, or are they a middler in the A-10 like they're predicted to be? Do they finish seventh or eighth? You know, are they 16 and 15, something along those lines? Is that enough maybe to say we want to change the direction of, of where we're going here? We think we can do better. Um, you know, we'd like to start this over. So you've got 30,000-foot conversations going on in addition to just this one game head-to-head. I, I think that's part of why I think this is a really fascinating matchup from that standpoint. Yeah, you put it, you put it really well, and, and URI can't look ahead to Boston College at home and can't look ahead to a trip to Florida where you play Tulsa and you could potentially play Utah down there. You have to, you have to take care of this game if you're URI um, against a team that's in a much lower conference than you against a team that has... Um, progressed a lot since the last time you saw it um, and who was on the doorstep of an NCAA tournament. So um, always good for bigger programs when they play these types of games beginning of the season to face teams that are the top one or two teams in the smaller conferences Mm -hmm. um, because those are the teams that flirt with the NCAA tournament. That's a place that URI wants to get back to. Um, And those teams like the Fairfields and like the Sacred Hearts that Providence played – those teams have those established cultures. Uh, URI right now, the, the you know the culture isn't quite where I'm sure David Cox would have hoped it would have been. For, you know when he started four years ago, uh, and he admitted to that. You know after the after the uh, first game against uh, Johnson and Wales in the exhibition, um, and he said we're trying to reestablish that culture. Two home wins against two very formidable opponents on week one would do that job going into then the middle part of November where you're going to face teams a little bit better than you and some Power 5 teams. No question. I, I'd be very encouraged if you or I was able to come out and, and maybe frustrate Brian a little bit, uh, you know, slow them down. You're able to get them into a defensive battle and, and win. I, I think you'd feel a lot better beating one of the favorites in the Patriot League and then one of the favorites in the NEC uh, as you go into next week. And you have Boston College and old friend Mike LaPrey coming to the Ryan Center. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to see Mike, as always, a home game for him. Um, you know, Maury, our, our fourth men's team, uh, who will play their first Division One game on Friday, talk about jumping into the deep end of the pool right away. Uh, Brown, coming off an exhibition win over Salve Regina on Tuesday, has headed south for North Carolina uh, and Chapel Hill. They will face the Tar Heels. Uh, late Friday night, I think you said it's a 9 o'clock tip, is that correct? I think it's 9. 9 p.m. tip on the ACC network. Uh, Maury, going to Chapel Hill, obviously one of the pilgrimages in college basketball. 
uh, you know, one of the storied programs in the sport. Six national championships, uh, countless All-Americans, Michael Jordan school, obviously. Um, you know, doing some game prep for this, Maury, one thing I found really interesting. This is Hubert Davis's first year at North Carolina. He's obviously a great shooting guard for the Tar Heels, uh, an assistant coach under the retired Roy Williams. He's only the fifth North Carolina head coach since 1961. Wow. Ridiculous to think about when you consider the turnover in college basketball in most programs. Yep. Um, even someone like Mike Shashevsky, Jim Beheim, you know, those are the two longest tenured guys elsewhere. I didn't necessarily go back and look at Duke and, and Syracuse's history before those two, but you have to think they had more than three or four coaches, right? You would have to think so. Off the top of my head, you're putting me on the spot here. But yeah, you'd have to think that UNC is, is in a class it's of their own. Certainly, one of them. you know, in the top three, top four in terms of continuity of, yep. of, you know, people in that spot. Obviously, Dean Smith, longtime head coach there. Roy Williams pushed two decades there. Uh, you know, those are two basketball Hall of Famers, two legends of the game. Uh, and now you're facing North Carolina, a, a team that uh, is in the top 20. They're 19 in the polls this week. Uh, has some familiar names in the lineup. Uh, some good transfer talent they got in, actually. Brady Manick, who's a veteran from Oklahoma. URI fans might remember him. He was on the Trey Young team that, that they beat in the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh. Uh, Dawson Garcia, who's a really talented freshman at Marquette last year, has transferred to North Carolina. When when Steve Wojciechowski scheduled a late-season non-conference game at Chapel Hill, he pretty much invited the Tar Heels to steal his best player. Uh, and Shaka Smart uh, will not be sending any thank-you notes to Wojo uh, because Wojo got fired, and Shaka inherited a team without Dawson Garcia. Sorry, everyone. Uh, but Carolina has some familiar names. Caleb Love, Leaky Black, Armando Baycott, those guys have been mainstays for the Tar Heels over the last See some of those pictures years. of Armando Baycott? I did. Preseason? Yes. <sighs> Guy looks like Superman. Uh, I was going to say, I know you Almost play... Almost maybe too big for basketball. I, I know you play a little pickup two or three times a week. How would you feel if that guy walked into your gym? Yeah, no, I wouldn't go inside <laughs> the three-point line. <laughs> There's no way, right? No, definitely not the paint. I mean, goodness gracious. And, and, and we talk about Brown having one of the best front courts that, that uh, Mike Martin has enjoyed in his tenure, well, here's your test. you you got Armando Baycott and, and, and the rest of those guys to deal with. Uh, you know, Brown obviously played all 17 guys in, in the win over Salve Regina, 89-59, uh, a game that wasn't really that much of a test. Uh, Paxson Wojcik played 22 minutes. No one else played more than 20. Um, you know, I think that the only real takeaway that I had from that was I wondered who they would start at guard. I figured Wojcik would be one of them. Uh, Dan Friday winds up being the other. Um, so that sort of makes Wojcik your de facto point guard uh, in that lineup. I think Dan Friday is a little bit more of a shooting guard. Um, realistically, though, I, I think that's the only question that was answered by Brown the other night. You're, you're not really going to have many takeaways from Salve Regina. We are going to learn something about the Bears and where they are competitively on this occasion. Yeah, I think we will. And I think, you know, I liken this to the trip that they made to Duke a couple of years ago. Um, that was Brown, one of Brown's better teams recently where they were knocking on the doorstep of getting to an Ivy League playoff and they hung with the Blue Devils for a little bit. Um, you know, sure, maybe you, ca you caught the Blue Devils on an off night or the, maybe they overlooked Brown like Providence said, they overlooked Fairfield. There, there's some parallels there. However, I think the goal for Brown here is to hang with UNC for a half, 
Keep it interesting at the under 16 in the second half. And then ev- anything else there is is icing on the cake. Um, you know, you expect UNC to wear you down. You expect UNC to win this game. You know, the line, I think, is over 20 points as of right now. But what I liked most about seeing Brown, and I wasn't at the game against um, Salve the other night. We were at the dunk. Um, but what I liked in their inter-squad scrimmage was the the height and the girth that they have on their team doesn't necessarily represent your everyday Ivy League squad. Or it represents the teams that have won the Ivy League uh, in recent years. Mm. So you look up and down the roster, and we know what Tamaning Cho was, and we know what, what Jalen Ganey is. But, you know, Dan Friday, who's coming around for a second year, 6'4", 225. Uh, Perry Cowan, his boy, 6'4", 205. And David Mitchell, we talked about on the first pod, 6'6", 210. You add a Paxson Wojcik, 6'5", 200. Um, and uh, who else? Noah Marin, who's eligible now for the first time as a Brown Bear, 6'5", 200 pounds as well. So they have pieces that I think if they play up to their potential in the first half could keep it somewhat close against North Carolina. And that has to be the goal for Mike Martin's squad. Um, and I think that's the way that you, you come back from a trip to Tobacco Road happy uh, and looking to build off of that. Can't expect a win. But you also don't want to get you know the doors blown off of you right from tip. No, what you want to confirm is, is something approaching what you think you have. And, and I know what Mike Martin feels like he has is a veteran team, certainly a representative front court physically. Um, you know, so you'd like to see a team that is relatively even in terms of rebounding. Um, you know, a team that is relatively even in terms of points in the paint. Uh, you know, someone who's going to compete around the glass in terms of North Carolina's two-point shooting, perhaps. Um, you know, you want to see those, those physical markers there, I, I think. Um, you know, and then the guard play is obviously the wild card, it, which we talked about coming into the year. Um, you know, is Wojcik going to make some three-point shots? He's played some very high-level competition. Previously at Loyola Chicago, this will not be a huge step up in class for him. The Ramblers have played against some really good teams. In his two previous years, they played in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, so that's not going to be something new for him. What are we going to see out of Dan Friday? Um, you know, here's a guy who is from Detroit, played high-level competition. He's a tough kid. Um, you know, what is a challenge like this going to draw out of him? You're going to learn something about him if he's able to go out, make some shots early, maybe get to the rim. Um, you know, if he can get it in, into double digits and scoring against a team that's got two or three pros on it, you're going to figure out something about the way he might develop going forward. Um, you know, I, I look at Brown and I think that Mike Martin, obviously, he he scheduled this way uh, because he felt like he had an older team. He wanted to callous them a little bit before you get into the Ivy League. Um, you know, he's got some up games here, whether it's Carolina, the Paradise Jam, which they start with Creighton, Vermont, URI, and Maryland are their last three to end the non-conference. Those are all top 100 games, according to Ken Palm. So I, I think he's sort of taken the, the approach that I'm not really going to learn anything playing, you know, whoever. Pick regional opponent X. Right. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, no disrespect to Maine. Right. But I'm not going to learn anything playing Maine 10 times. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to figure out who my players are if I can really challenge them. I can only do that so much every day in practice. I can only do that so much playing Maine, playing St. Francis, Brooklyn, um, you know, 
some other team in the in the metro or or in the NEC. Why don't we get out and, and play an ACC team on the road? You know, let's give it a try. Ken Palm says we have a four percent chance to win the game. We're going to be twenty point underdogs. Guys, just go out and be loose. Have fun with it. We're playing at North Carolina. You watch them on TV all the time. Now you're on the same court. You know, no one expects you to win. Go out, be loose, and enjoy it. And I think it's it's a perfect opportunity for them to to play this type of game with no pressure whatsoever. Go let it rip. Use it as a game that you can, uh, you know, hopefully, like I said, the potential of your team is seen at times. Hopefully you can string some good minutes together. And then you come back and you apply what you learn there to the games against the teams that you think you can beat in the out-of-conference, and then hopefully it rolls into league play. you got uh, Central Connecticut on Sunday at the Pizzatola Center. Then you have Johnson & Wales on Tuesday, uh, which is a little space filler before you go to the Paradise Jam. Uh, that'll be next weekend. You start with Creighton on Friday. Uh, I think that's three games guaranteed. Three or four? Three or four. Yeah. Um, certainly a, a cluster. Uh, you wouldn't play again until next Friday locally, uh, the 26th. Actually, Black Friday, they host Bryant. Great game. Which would be a really interesting game. Uh, coin flippish type of game. Uh, at the Pizzatola Center, um, you know. So with that, our our men's teams are wrapped up. Maury, let, let's take a look at the ladies real quick. Uh, we mentioned you or I. They are at home against Merrimack on Friday night as part of a doubleheader. Uh, great promotional opportunity by the URI folks in in terms of ticketing and sports marketing uh, to try and get a doubleheader. And 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 I'm really interested to see if there's any sort of carryover effect from the crowd whether it's the men's game to the women's game. I, I think there is genuine buzz in Kingston around the women's team. I, I think what they did last year and obviously their preseason prediction this year to finish second in the A-10, um, I think there is genuine interest there. Uh, I look at what they did in their opener Tuesday night at Dartmouth. Granted, Dartmouth is, is pick seventh in the Ivy League. But to win 83-37, I think that's kind of what Ed Kulib is getting at. Uh, last night when he's talking about it really doesn't matter who the opponent is, it matters how you play. When your eye goes out and holds Dartmouth to 16 for 63 from the field <laughs> and 2 for 13 from 3, 5 assists and 16 turnovers, I was talking with a URI staff member today uh, who said Tammy Reese wanted to score 100 and wasn't happy with 83. I think that gives you an idea of their mindset going into the season. Oh, it does. The bar is high. The bar is high for Tammy Reese and her squad. and um, It's another winnable game against Merrimack. Hopefully, like you said, there's some of the crowd that, that hangs on uh, after, after URI Bryant. Whether it's a win or a loss for Rhodey, you hang on for the women's program, who was picked second preseason in the A-10, who has a ton of potential and who's going in the right direction. So hopefully you can check them out. 8.30 Friday night. The weather's crappy out today. So hang in, watch some more hoops, and uh, and hopefully you, you walk away with two wins if you're a Rhode Island Rams fan. You, you look at their opening game, five players in double figures. Uh, Chanel Williams, a transfer from Providence, had 20 in her first game at URI, 7 for 10 from the field. Uh, she's going to have the ball in her hands a lot uh, playing at the guard position, and I know that's someone that Tammy Reese was really excited to get uh, coming into the season. I, I, I know that's someone she targeted as a grad transfer. Uh, she hit the ground running right away. Um, Emmanuel Tahan, who's the co-A-10 player of the year last year, had 14. 
Uh, Des Elmore, the transfer from Seton Hall, had 11. I, I think looking at the bench, though, Maury, I, I know there was a point of emphasis for you or I this offseason on trying to build more depth. Um, you know, they got to a point last year where they had three or four players who were well over 30 minutes per game um, and wore down a, a little bit late. You know, Tammy Reese felt like they didn't have much left in the tank in the conference tournament against VCU. Uh, you get 11 off the bench from Maya Torre and another nine from Dolly Cairns, who was uh, an, an A-10 all-rookie selection last year. Um, you know, if you're going to get production a little deeper into, into your rotation, you know, your seventh, eighth player, ninth player, I think that's probably the, the next step to raising this team's ceiling a little bit. I, I think that when you bring in four grad transfers like they did, they give themselves so many more options on a given night in terms of how they would like to attack an opponent. So I went to Quinnipiac University, and they made the Sweet 16 my senior year in 2017. Um, and they coined the phrase gold rush. One of our colors was gold. So they'd play, they'd have their first five, and literally it would be a hockey line. Their second five, they would bring in and really? flip-flop five and five. Interesting. So I think that is the goal, and that's the key to success when you're a mid-major program trying to build. Like Tammy Reese is here at URI. They might not have a full five that she trusts that you can interchange five and five you know, every couple minutes and keep fresh, fresh legs on the court, but if you can have three or four that you really trust off the bench, like we've seen here against Dartmouth, and like we'll hope to see you know, the first few games of this season. I think that's where, as a mid-major program, when you build, you want to look at the, de- the, the depth on your bench. And then that's where you can hopefully play and compete with some of the better teams that you play on your schedule, like a Providence or like a Harvard or a Princeton, or they go to UVA down the line. So when you build that depth as a mid-major women's program, that's you know hopefully going to be your backbone. You want some of that top-end talent. But I think if you can have really good players from three through nine, that should pay off. No question about it. And, and, and you look at the schedule that they put together, uh, you know, obviously after Merrimack, you have Coppin State coming in, um, but your degree of difficulty goes up next week. You go to Providence on Wednesday, and then you play Princeton at home, who is the Ivy League favorite, uh, next Saturday, the 20th. Um, you know, so you're looking at URI, and they've scheduled competitively, um, you know, they've got some tests here in the non-conference coming up. They play, uh, you know, in an invitational tournament, the Cavalier Classic at Virginia, which is Tammy Reese's alma mater, which starts on Black Friday. Uh, they play the Cavaliers the first game. That that will be a really interesting trip for her to go back to Charlottesville. Um, you know, she's a great player there, was in three Final Fours, uh, teammates with Dawn Staley there, who, who's obviously a terrific coach at, at South Carolina. Um, you know, so you're looking at, at the URI women progressing into this season. Uh, I'll be intrigued what happens at Providence. Uh, the Friars lost in overtime to Yale in the opener. Uh, Janae Crooms, the Cranston native, made a baseline jumper to force overtime in that one. Um, you know, Providence obviously very competitive with the Bulldogs, fell a little bit short. Uh, Bryant lost a tight game to Iona on opening night. Uh, and Brown was competitive for a half in their game uh, under first-year coach Monique LeBlanc, who, who was actually at Merrimack previously, um, you know, before struggling in the second half uh, of their game. Um, you know, you're interested to see what happens on the women's side because unlike the men, the women will actually go out and schedule each other. We're going to have a fair amount of PC URI and PC Brown and Bryant URI. And, you know, it, it, it's almost like they would be more amenable 
to playing that dream men's four team tournament that that everyone talks about that but that will never happen. Nope. It feels like we could get the Ocean State Invitational on that side. You know, the coffee pot or whatever you want to call it. Sure. You know, whoever wants to sponsor it. I, I don't know. Maybe Sports Bet RI would like to jump in, uh, even though we couldn't post lines on it because obviously it's four in state teams. Um, you know, but I, I do like the fact that, that there is a willingness there to just say, yeah, come to Alumni Hall. Yeah. Come to Bryant. Come to the Ryan Center. Sure, we'll play. They should make it a weekend. It'd be great. And it should rotate at all four schools. Right. One year at Providence, doubleheader Friday, doubleheader Saturday, or pick the days you want. Next year it's at Bryant, next year it's at Brown. The following year it's at URI, and you rotate. And then each of those schools gets the gate. You don't have to worry about any type of, uh, you know, running out maybe a, 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 a sort of like a neutral site uh, if they were to play it at the dunk or they were to play it, you know, somewhere else at, at maybe a Mohegan or wherever. You, you, you go to on campus and, and you try to drum up that excitement for the women's programs because – there's some excitement there about the women's programs in the area. Yeah, you or I certainly building towards something. You you look at the other three programs in the state, obviously, um, you know, looking to get going here through the first week. Um, you know, I, I just know that, you know, I'm thrilled that we're here. We're talking about games, uh, games that we know are going to be played, that we're relatively confident. They're on the schedule and they're actually going to tip when they say they're going to tip. <laughs> um, you know, last year, I, I just think back to, you know, scheduling games like 36 hours in advance. Right. You know, I mean, it was just wild. Like, hey, we had a team drop out. They had COVID positives. Anybody want to play? You got head coaches on Twitter saying, hey, we need a game for Friday night. We've got the gym. Like, anyone want to show up? Um, you know, and now I could sit here and I could say, yeah, I'm going to the Ryan Center tonight for, for a couple games. And, you know, yeah, next week I'm, I'm going to go to, you know, I might go to the Bryant Women against Brown. You know, I'm going to go to URI Boston College. I'm going to go to PC New Hampshire. You know, just... To have that maybe certainty back, that's great for us. I can only imagine how it is for the kids and, and the coaching staff. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. You know what you have. You know there's going to be a season, uh, and you know there's going to be fans there. So it uh, starts with a great night tonight, uh, doubleheader at URI. I know we'll both be there, and, and hopefully a lot of people that, that listen in will uh, join us there as well. And with that, Maury, I, I thank you very much, as always, for coming in, uh, sharing your time and your insights. Uh, you will be back soon. We will be back soon with the next episode of the podcast. Thank you all very much.